We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. How are you today, this week, yesterday and tomorrow? <laughs> tomorrow, not sure, because yeah. we never know. We've got to, you know, live in the day because life is chaos and we never know. I am, I've generally been pretty good. I've generally had a good week. I had my birthday since we last spoke. I've had my seven-year wedding anniversary, which neither of us realised until 10am, but at least it was both of us. <laughs> we were sitting at breakfast. It was on a Sunday. We're sitting at breakfast. And I think it was Nick got a text message from his dad saying happy anniversary. And he looked up and he goes, oh, babe, happy anniversary. And I was like, well, thank fuck neither of us knew because it's not like <laughs> either of us had like a, you know, a rose decorated Shetland pony out in the backyard or anything. Like we were just both like, oh, well, happy anniversary. You were snowed under your three kids going, oh, okay, cool, happy anniversary. We didn't wake up in the same bed and we didn't fall to sleep that night in the same bed either. <laughs> and I was like, I guess this this is what being busy over the past seven years will feel like. But it was nice to kind of reflect on the past seven years. Sometimes you look back and I'm like, oh, my gosh, because I, I got married pre-kids. It feels like a freaking lifetime ago. And seven years really wasn't that long ago and just thinking about, you know, how much our lives have changed, not only oh. in terms of our kids, but our careers and our just day-to-day life yeah. and nightlife was really, really cool. And um, we had an awesome day as a family, which was good. And look, we're recording this on a Monday because our episodes go out on a Tuesday. And I woke up this morning and I was just having, I don't know, I know some people call it what is it like Monday the Sunday blues? sads or something, but Monday I blues. kind of woke up with the Monday blues. I just felt a bit like, oh, like the, the week was already getting away from me before it had even begun. And mm. I think that's what's been the biggest change with three is I'm just like cannot find enough time. Like no matter how much I move and postpone and push back, there's still just not enough time for that. And there's always a pile of something unattended somewhere and I am surrendering to it. But I felt like this morning it was just, it was almost getting to me before the week had already begun. And to be honest, I listened back to the draft of this episode Mm. that we're putting out today and something Holly said towards the end about, you know, what her journey taught her in not sweating the small stuff. And I just, I know that everything's relative and I guess like everyone's troubles are relative to what they're going through and I think it's all valid. And um, obviously what Holly's been through, what you will listen to today is monumental and not what any of us would ever want to go through, but even just her saying, you know, don't sweat the small stuff, it really showed her what was important. I just thought, Soph, just take a freaking breath, 
write a list. It's not that bad. Like you're fine. If some things go unnoticed until tomorrow, it's okay. And actually listening to this as much as it is somewhat of a heavy topic made me think like, no, it's okay. (laughs) There's always tomorrow. And as you said, who knows what tomorrow will hold? So (laughs) how are you? How was your week? How was your day? Happy anniversary. Happy birthday. I was actually so busy that I didn't even get your present. You're like, please don't. I've got hay fever. If it's flowers, I've got enough. And I was like, okay, you've let me off the hook, darling. Can we all just agree as friends we're not buying one another presents? It's just one thing to take off the Yeah, we can buy them for our immediate family. But other than that, like even Christmas, we've just turned to one another as adults, like with my brothers and stuff, and we've just said, don't worry. Yeah. If there's something I really, really need, I'll get it. I'll spend the money that I was meant to spend on your present on myself and get it myself. So don't worry about the present, babe. Well, to start off, my armpits freaking stink. (laughs) They are so bad. They're actually, they're hairy too. So that's probably not helping, but they smell. And I don't know what is going on lately. I don't know if it's the medication or if I've said this before, but I like, I have body odor in my armpits. And it's not just like I haven't, usually I would have to run three kilometers to work up a sweat. Now I'm going down the hallway and my pits are sweating and they stink. It's hot all of a sudden though. I don't know. I just, I'm I'm a bit stinky. Anyway, I'm going to get a new deodorant (laughs) and see how that goes. And what else happened this week? Oh, I've just, I've had it with things this week. So the internet has just been playing up and I got some guy out to fix it and turns out he didn't even bring the internet cord. It's like what you you had one job mate. It was like when I rock rock up to recording without my laptop. What do you mean he didn't bring his internet cord? This is the one thing you had to do. No, no cord. By the way, uh, you are paying for ADSL too and you're also paying for MBN. So you need to like get a refund. So I'm on the phone an hour ago for an hour and a half, $1,200, two years I've been paying two internets. And they're like, how come you didn't work this out ages ago? I said, I did, but you guys had an issue with some other like authorization. So I couldn't get through about the phone bill. Anyway, that's getting sorted. That's fantastic. So what are we spending the $1,200 on? This is like bonus money. I know. Are we putting it on red? It's your birthday coming up. What are we doing? I've got exciting ideas. So you know what? Watch this space. Let me just think about this because that was compulsive (laughs) saving. That's good. It'll go towards some bullshit. I've got it. Of course, of course. (laughs) I've got a riddle fabulous. And Mm. it's pretty much rude. I've already told you this, but we'll share it again. So Harry lately, or for the past year, has been playing this phone prank with the mobile phone system. So if you drive past on a highway, you'll see these mobile units. And if you're on your phone, you get a fine. Does that make sense? Yeah, like it's a, it's like a speed camera, but it's a phone camera. It catches you on your phone. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Sophie. And anyway, what he usually does when he sees it is he'll pick up his mint tin or something and be like, ha, 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 it's not a phone. The idiot did it this time and he got a photo in the mail with his mint tin that looks so much like a phone because you can only see the bottom of it that he got a fine and five demerit points deducted. Now, what is the guy to do? Hey, I was actually pranking you guys. It's not a phone. It's a tin. No, that's not going to go down well. Why were you chatting on your tin? Why are you even (laughs) up there near your ear hole? 
And I don't know, watch his space again. Don't know what he's going to do to get out of that one. But it just made me so annoyed. It's like, I don't, you know how people have those jokes where they're like, oh, I'm going to tell someone something. And then it's go, you'll say, oh, surprise, that that's not true. I don't like annoying anyone or anything, especially when it comes to the government, the police. I just like to try and do the right thing. He, on the other hand, clearly doesn't. And it made me so angry that I'm like, you deserve the fine. You're an idiot. Let's move on. I was going to say, I don't think it's rude. I think it's fabulous. I'm with you. I hate pranks. I think they're the lowest Mm. form of comedy (laughs) and things like jackass and that kind of thing give me severe anxiety. I hate it. So as much as I'm sorry, you're his partner and whatever money he loses, you lose. And I bet him losing the five demerit points will come back and somehow bite you in the ass, which just seems to happen. But this is a fabulous. Pranksters need for their pranks to fuck up every now and again. And this is fabulous. And I want you to record the phone call when he (laughs) has to call up and somehow say, oh, no, 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 I was just talking on my mint tin. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's going to have to go down there. I think it's going to be a court matter. It's going to be... Yeah, it's not going to be as easy as he thinks, that's for sure. If you are in our Facebook group, we would love you to jump on, especially if it's your partner. There's nothing better than your partner's prank going wrong. Like, you know, when someone tries to jump out and scare you and they like stub their toe in the meantime, that kind of thing, love it. So come onto our Facebook page and make sure you let us know when a prank has gone wrong and if you are a prank lover or a prank hater like us. Oh, my God, prank hater all the way. Now, on a slightly more serious note, we'll get into today's episode. We spoke to the beautiful Holly. What an incredible story, Mm. incredible woman. She speaks all about her journey she's been on over the last about year and a half when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. We won't say much more because we think the way that Holly tells her own story is amazing. So we hope you enjoy this episode, get something out of this episode. Obviously a trigger warning. We do speak about cancer in this and yeah, enjoy. Hello, Holly. Thank you for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, girls. Thank you so much. I'm very honoured to be here. Firstly, I'm such a huge fan of both of you as individuals, but also the podcast. Yeah, It's such a great platform to have genuine conversations and you cover so many amazing topics for mum. So I am honoured to be here. I'm Holly. I'm mama of two boys aged two and four, and I'm the founder of Byron Beauty brand, Eye of Horace Cosmetics. I was born in Melbourne and raised in country Victoria. I had a very wholesome upbringing. My parents would take me and my brother every year on holidays to Byron Bay. And yeah, it was almost my intention to make it my home one day. And in 2014, I made the move to come here to Byron Bay with my business. I met my husband, Jay, and we started our family here. I'm usually interviewed to talk about my business, but today we're discussing a more personal topic. So yeah, thanks for the opportunity to tell my story. Now you've had a bit of a roller coaster of 
the past couple of years, I believe. I'm not sure exactly when this all began, but can you tell us a little bit about this? Um, yeah, as mentioned, I have two little boys aged two and four and I breastfed both boys until they were about 16 months before I began to wean them. And I never had much of an issue with breastfeeding itself, aside from mastitis a couple of times. In fact, I kind of loved breastfeeding and the connection it gave me with both boys. It was quite an emotional experience for me to feed for the last time, but it was last March, so 2022, when I weaned my one-year-old Lenny, I noticed a lump in my right breast in the milk duct that I'd experienced mastitis in. I kind of, I guess I expected it to go away after feeding um, Mm. and it didn't. It felt kind of hard and it wasn't sore or anything, but I guess at the time I was a bit naive to think it would be anything. I assumed, you know, I'm young, I'm under 40. Mm. I thought it was probably just scar tissue from mastitis. And, you know, I think when you're feeding, you naturally have like lumpy breasts anyway. Oh, and they change from minute to minute. Like, you know, they can go through so many changes, so it would be so easy to just ignore a difference. And, you know, I didn't have family history of breast cancer that I knew of at that point, but I was like, I'll I'll book into my GP and get checked just in case. But to set the scene, this was Byron last year, so in March, and we had been hit by the floods at that point. And my GP appointment was delayed a few times because it was literally like the street that my doctor's surgery was in was underwater at that point. So it was kind of a month or so delayed to even get in to have an examination. And there was a lot going on and I kind of felt, oh, there's not a lot of urgency. We'll get it checked when, you know, we can. And my husband was like, no, come on, book in, get it checked. And um, good on him. Yeah. So after that initial consult with my GP, I could tell that yeah, she was concerned straight away. Is this before seeing even a scan? Did she just have a feel? She just had a feel and she was like, I'm not quite sure. Like she was really concerned and and confused because it was kind of a large lump there. And yeah, the next day I literally went straight to Lismore Hospital for a mammogram and an ultrasound. And Jay, my husband, he wanted to come. He's a builder and he was on site in Bangalore. So we kind of drove separately to the hospital. And so I went in the hospital. I had a mammogram and an ultrasound following that. And, um, yeah, I'll never forget, like, the sonographer in in the room. She was there and she was like, oh, I'm just going to go and get the specialist and and step out of the room for a moment. And I just remember laying there going, fuck, like, what's going on? And I was, like, trying to hold back the tears. And, yeah, she brought the specialist in to have a look and he straight away said to me, do you have a support person with you? And I'm like, yeah, can you please get my husband? (laughs) He's sitting in the waiting room. And the specialist explained to us both that they had found a mass on my breast and an enlarged uh, lymph node under my arm. And he went on to explain that, you know, there was two possible outcomes, that it could be scar tissue or fatty tissue or it was breast cancer. He's like, it's most likely not scar tissue. So 
he mentioned cancer a lot in that first kind of yeah. appointment and he did a biopsy on the spot and um yeah which really hurt by the way <laughs> I was just holding my husband's hand the whole time and yeah trying to be brave but I think like we held it together in that appointment but we walked out of that hospital and we just like broke down out the front as you would so what do you like obviously one what goes through your head after that one conversation because I'm assuming it just flips your whole life around on its head but also like what what do they say to you like what's next what do you do what like it's just yeah I don't know (laughs) you wait and and I think that's the worst part 100% the worst part was the weight like you they're throwing cancer around you know they're saying that we're taking a biopsy you'll find out in I think it was two weeks but I just remember like walking out of there and I drove home on my own because we both kind of met at the hospital so I remember driving home alone just like wanting to call my my family and friends but just also going fuck is this happening? Like, how are my two little boys going to, you think the worst, your, your mind, your mind goes to the worst case scenario, you know? Yeah. How will they survive without their mom? And how will my husband cope? And yeah, you spiral a little bit. So you don't know until two weeks what severity it's at. Yeah. So basically what followed that, I had the biopsy and then it was Easter by this stage. And then we we're like, great we're going to have to wait till Easter holidays are over until we meet with um, my GP to get the results. But luckily a colleague of my GP who turns out to be like a friend of a friend, some crazy <laughs> small town thing. Um, That's Byron. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She was available Easter Saturday and they said, we need you to come in. And um, as soon as they kind of say, we need you to yeah. be like, okay, let's prepare for this. So yeah, this was kind of Easter Saturday, Jay and I walks in and she already had like tears in her eyes and she was like, I'm so sorry. Um, you've got breast cancer. And it was like the shortest appointment ever. And we were just like, well, like what happens now? And um, she said, basically, they'll be in touch with you with with like the next steps so that was huge and heavy and um yeah my good friend passed away last year and I think she was stage four and I was always trying to understand what that meant when they said stage one to like where the cancer's at I guess yeah it is so um you know there's there's pre-cancer so mine was IDC which is invasive ductal carcinoma so it basically means that the cancer isn't just centralized to the breast or the milk duct where mine was in within the milk duct so it had spread throughout the breast tissue so it was stage 2b which meant that I had it in the breast, but also it had spread to the outer tissue of the milk duct and I had it in my lymph nodes. So it had started to seed and spread throughout the body. So I think that was the most concerning thing because yeah. I knew in my lymph nodes and then I was like, fuck, where else is it? You know, mm. until you have your full PET scan, you don't really know where else. So your mind goes, oh my God, like, you know, it can be kind of anywhere. It's already 
tried to spread throughout the body. And is that what they did? Did they give you a PET scan? Yeah, so that was next step to see if it had spread throughout the body even further. Luckily, it was in my sentinel node, so in the main lymph node under the arm. So then they removed 11 of the lymph nodes under my arm and removed the tumour, which was like substantial. It was six centimetres throughout the milk duct, but also in the surrounding tissue. And so was there the option to remove the breast or the breasts or how do you make that decision about whether you're removing the mass itself or the entire breast? Yeah, so when you are diagnosed, you're assigned this um, multidisciplinary team and it's a team of like breast surgeons, oncologists, radiation oncologists, and they will look at your case and they'll look at your type of cancer and they will then make a decision of treatment based on all of those things, like your age, yeah. they'll take that into consideration as well. So for me, I was stage 2B and under 40, which meant that that they wanted to prescribe like the maximum, you know, treatment possible to prolong my life and make sure that I have a long, long life. So for me, because of the size and the grade, surgery was was step one to remove everything. My breast surgeon did try and preserve my skin and my nipple in the first surgery. And she tried the best to do that. But unfortunately, I had three infections following that surgery. So it just, a temporary implant was put in. So they put in like an expander, which is sort of the aim of it is to stretch the skin so that when you're ready for reconstruction, there's enough sort of skin and tissue to put in an implant. So that was kind of the first, I guess, stage but then for me I had multiple infections and we had to basically remove everything so now I am totally flat on this side I have no skin no nipple it's just a vertical scar because of those complications followed through surgery so that was um yeah that was probably the the hardest part of the journey. I was gonna say I feel like there's something deeply personal about boobs I think especially once you've had children and you see them for so much more than just a you know like a sexy part of your body or or whatever there's something so deeply personal about them do you feel like that added like another layer of complexity to this entire journey absolutely and I think because the fact that I'd literally just weaned Lenny was one at the time you know is so little still so I was still in that kind of transition period as well like from finishing feeding and yeah absolutely I I loved feeding my boys and there is that that connection but you know when you're 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 in it I was just let's just get rid of it let's absolutely everything and I had to make that decision to just you know go completely flat just to get rid of that that infection risk because that was about six weeks in and out of hospital trying to preserve what was there and then have another surgery and yeah that was hard that was hard being away from them as well because I had never been away from the family before and Jay had to stop work and he was full-time at home with with the kids and yeah that was that was hell (laughs) and so at this time Lenny's obviously one so he doesn't really understand what's going on but your older boy what's his name 
Uh, Banks, yeah. Banks. He was three. Like what do you, what do you say to him? Because obviously this is a huge change in his life as well. Yeah, it, it is huge. I mean, he was pretty amazing through the whole process. We Jay and I made that decision to kind of bring the kids along with, with everything and explain to them what was going on and bring them into uh, the process. So he knew that mum had to, he just, he tells his, you know, group at, at kindy that mum had to get her booty chopped off and she had <laughs> medicine and her hair fell out. And like, he understands it's amazing what they, what they understand and comprehend about the whole process. And yeah, he gets it. I think because he was old enough to witness a lot of it, there's definitely like a bit of a separation anxiety that we're still kind of working through with him because there's just, there's been some moments where, you know, my parents would literally have to like tear him off me because I had to go back to hospital and he knew yeah. that meant he knew mum would be, you know, in hospital for a few weeks and he didn't know when he'd see me again. And I think, yeah, that definitely affected him. But, yeah, they're amazing what they can understand and comprehend at such a young age. And even when we went to shave my head when it was starting to fall out, like we brought the kids into that and they helped, you know, shave my head. And, yeah. So did you have to fully recover from the surgery before you could start chemotherapy? Yeah, so um, they give you a bit of a window of about uh, six to eight weeks after surgery to when you start chemo. And I was just within that window, even following all these kind of surgeries and things. So yeah, you're pretty much straight into it though. I think I had a week at home and then I was, yeah, into chemo the next week. So, And how did you mentally prepare yourself for that? I feel like it's just something that you always hear, I guess, the worst of the worst in terms of how you're going to feel while you're going through it. How do you mentally prepare to go in for that first session? You can't really prepare too much. I mean, everything at the start is so rushed. You know, you're thrown into it. So you just have to, you know, it's one day at a time. But for me, I think I wanted to do everything to prep my body and my health to make sure I could at least, my body could at least support the the side effects with chemo. So I visited sort of a naturopath and and was on like natural therapies and, and herbs to support my immune system. And I went to sort of like a healing center and did oxygen therapy, red light therapy, like everything I possibly mm. could to help kind of support my immune system to get through it. So I was doing everything, like everything I possibly could to, yeah, be as healthy as I could to get through it. And it is, it's, it's tough. It's, I think given the amount, so I had 16 rounds, it was five months in total of chemo, Wow, which is a lot. And, um, the first drug is called AC and it's a combination of two chemo drugs and it's red in color and they call it red devil and it's it's potent like it's it's a heavy chemo drug is that because it makes you feel sick it's red in color and it also turns your pee red but it is oh. it makes you seriously sick 
like to the stomach. But yeah, I think round two of that, I lost all my hair and, you know, you just don't want to eat and you just, you just, yeah, you do feel like you're dying. Like it is horrific. It just wipes everything out. So I know there's like, obviously so much that you're going through in this process, but I always, I guess, wonder how it feels to be a woman and watch your hair physically fall out like was it literally like you'd be having a shower and then clumps would just fall away and if so how how were you feeling while this was happening yeah like for me I woke up in the morning and I I remember just having like the worst headache and my head felt really sensitive and I knew it was the start of it like it felt like like really tingly and you kind of ran your hands through your hair and and yeah the clumps did start to fall out and I never wanted to see them on my pillow and that was just a no. personal choice I would prefer to just shave my head I yeah. said yep let's shave it and yeah literally the rest of the the lashes the brows everything else did kind of come out in the shower. Like I would literally get in the shower. I remember one day, like everything came off. (laughs) I got out and I was just like, yeah, completely bald. Yeah, it's bizarre. In terms of all your body hair and everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Wow. So that was, I had four rounds of that really hectic drug and then um, sort of 12 rounds of it wasn't as bad in terms of like the nausea and and the vomiting and the sickness, but it was weekly. So you'd sort of, you feel good towards the end of the week and then have another round. And, but I didn't finish all my rounds. I got to a point where I developed, it's called neuropathy. So it affects the nerve endings of like your hands and feet. So the, the tips of my fingers and the tips of my toes became numb completely and it can become permanent. So as soon as you start developing that, they they cut it pretty short. So I think I got to maybe like nine rounds out of 12. So I still feel a bit numb in my hands, but that hopefully they say that will come back. But yeah, it's it's a lot. <laughs> was that like disappointing to stop or was that a relief? Oh, it was a relief. I was like, oh. yeah. Yeah. But is that like, is that if they wanted you to do 12 rounds, is nine sufficient? Yeah. It was for mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, <sighs> yeah, it, it's heavy and it's hard. And, but the funny thing with chemo, I was home with the boys. So I feel like, as hard as it was, I was home every day. Like I had went off every fortnight, got my, and every week and got my rounds done and then would come home. But I could be on the couch with them, be a bit wiped out, but we could watch movies together Mm. and like cuddle together. And yeah, I felt shit. And I was, I had, you know, some horrible hard days, but in comparison to that first phase where I was away from them and in, in, in hospital and not knowing when I was going to get out. That was, that was the worst for, for us. Chemo was hard for me, but I think like, you know, as mums, we, we don't think about us too much. It's all about, you know, our families and the impact it has on everyone else around us. So yeah, chemo overall was, was rough, but I was with, with my family and it made it, you know, silver lining is that you're with them and you're together Mm. and you have those, you know, slow days together. And I think 
yeah, we took the boys out of daycare because I was immunocompromised. So we didn't want yeah. anything coming in the house because, you know, that would have sent me back to hospital, basically. It's crazy when you go into chemo for the first time, you have this, like this chemo session usually with one of the oncology nurses and they go through the toxicity of the drug and all the things that you should be mindful of. And one of them was you have to be in a separate bathroom to your family because within the first 48 hours of having chemo, it's so toxic. Like all your bodily fluids are so toxic that you can't have your family come in contact with any of that. So that's another thing to navigate. It's like you have to be in your own separate wing of the house and keep your kids kind of away from you because of the toxicity. So, yeah, it's it's hectic. And so before this started, had you and Jay, did you feel like your family was complete with your two boys? Luckily we did, yeah. Yeah, because otherwise would you have had to consider freezing eggs before you started chemo? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that's one of the first questions, you know, they ask you as well. It's like, do you want to have um, more children otherwise you go through a full phase before starting yeah but yeah we were done and for me since then as well I've had to have preventative surgeries so my ovaries have been removed and and my tubes and things as well to decrease the risk of getting cancer there exactly yeah And so how was that? Because I imagine you went through menopause when that happened. Yeah, so initially there was no family history, but I had a genetic test done towards the end of last year. It was actually during chemo, but then the results took six months and it um, showed that I had the BRCA2 gene mutation, which basically puts you at a higher risk of developing breast cancer young and oh wow yeah and also you know you're you're at a high risk of developing ovarian cancer and so yeah there was there could have been options there for me had I have known and now my whole family's in the process of getting genetically Mm. tested but yeah the oncologists were like okay we need to perform some preventative surgery this year so a few months ago, made the decision to remove my ovaries and fallopian tubes. So they kept one. So I have one ovary removed and my fallopian tubes removed. And they kept one because, yeah, it just to help with um, regulating hormones and that sort of thing. Right. Do you have to take like for the rest of your life, extra, like just to get that balance right? And how do you, like, is it like a hysterectomy? There's an option for that. And I think down the track, I will. I think like heading towards like in your 50s, they sort of say, let's remove everything. But when you're a bit younger, they try and like preserve as much as they can. For me, my um, cancer was hormone positive. So it was estrogen and it was like, it's called ERPR positive. So it's fed by estrogen and progesterone. So they don't prescribe hormones for me to take because that will, yeah, feed the cat. So um, Absolutely. I'm, I'm in a bit of a tricky spot where I can't really take take that. So, yeah, that was uh, preventative surgery um, at the start of the year. And then in six weeks, I go in to remove my left breast as well, because that's high risk. And then I guess the next stage will be reconstruction. And they're going to do that in the one surgery. 
And so that's putting implants in, is that right? No. No, it's called a DEP and it's basically they cut my stomach from hip to hip and they take the tissue, fat and blood vessels and they try and recreate two breasts from from the tissue and fat in my stomach. Why did they do it like that? I don't have enough skin for an implant on on this side. There's there's no skin there. So they have to take my own tissue to recreate boobs basically. So that's pretty major. It's um, a 12-hour, three surgeons, major surgery coming up for me. But I did have the option of totally going flat so making the decision to just have nothing at all but a mastectomy in itself is major so if if I'm going to have that and have the option of um, you know recreating boobs (laughs) with a plastic surgeon in that one surgery then I've decided to go go through that so at least you know they're not going to get much, but they'll get enough to at least yeah. have something there. So, And are you going to have nipples? Because they can tattoo them, can they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing what they can do. So, yeah, you go in, you have that first kind of recon where they will create the two boobs um, from the fat and tissue in your stomach. And then they'll go back in for a second surgery and it's it's a minor one, but they'll take skin and, and recreate nipples and then you can get them tattooed and things. So Yeah. I've seen some of the work that the yeah. tattoo artists can do and it's honestly amazing. It is amazing what they can do, yeah. Can I ask, do you request nipples that look like the ones you already had or can you request, I don't know, one, ones that you've like, already Let's ad- bring them back to small. Yeah, you <laughs> might be like, I've always admired this person's nipples. I want those. Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll have my husband's. <laughs> and you can get creative with the colour and all of that. So, yeah, that's the next kind of phase. So they did say it's, you know, from diagnosis, it's a 12-month kind of process but uh it's still pushing 18 months yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and what kind of supports did you have in place during this time I mean it's beautiful that you were able to be at home and be on the couch but I imagine you know there were a lot of other roles that had to be taken care of oh for sure and um yeah I I feel so incredibly lucky like Jay had to stop work he that was just a given he just he was home with the boys my parents are just up the road and they took the boys as well and helped out Jay's mum was kind of living for those three months when I was in like the thick of of chemo she kind of helped out with the house and girlfriends just coming to pick the kids up and take them to the playground we had people in the community drop off food like it was it was amazing like the support was incredible we were so blessed for that and um yeah I don't know how we would have got through it without like the support of everyone my girlfriends who they just check in with me every single day and um, make sure that I'm okay even after active treatment I think that's when you know, initially when you diagnose it's like this, it, everyone coming to you yeah. and, and mm. supporting you. And um, and then towards sort of the, the thick of treatment, it, it dies off a little bit. But, yeah, definitely had my close little support group around me to help out and do everything that they could. So I feel lucky for that. 
And just listening to you, you sound so strong mentally. Did you have a psychologist to talk through all of this? Was there anyone else that like made you feel like you're going to get through it? Mm, I think um, I didn't. Um, that's certainly offered to you uh, when you're when you're diagnosed. I think like my family were the main drivers of me just getting through it, and I was just like ticking it off one step at a time. It's so overwhelming when you're diagnosed because you you literally know what's ahead of you and it's huge. And Mm. and yeah, there's some pretty dark days, but I think like, I just wanted to fight as hard as I could for, for my family. And I I think I believed that I was going to get through it from the start. You know, I had this belief and this just drive to survive and, and get through it. So yeah, I've always tried to have a strong positive outlook towards Mm. it, especially with chemo as much as it, it scared me. And I looked at it initially in a negative way and I had to just reframe that and look at it as a gift, you know, it's going to prolong my life. And I went in there just openly receiving it as much as it knocked me around. I was like, this is, yeah, it's going to save my life. So yeah, switching that mindset and and honestly, so much of the battle of this is is mindset. You know, you have to you have to go in there with with a positive mindset and um, get over all the yeah, fight all the demons and get through it. And on top of that, you're you own a company. What happened on this front? Like, yeah. what did you do? <laughs> like, that's just a whole nother front of your life. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, look, that was challenging. Luckily, before I was diagnosed, I was starting to step back, obviously, with two little kids. I put in sort of management team there, and they're amazing. It's a small but mighty team. But yeah, everyone stepped up. And I think we developed a culture in there that's almost like family, and we take care of each other. And that's been they've been able to just not only you know hold the reins but but grow the business as well while I've totally stepped out so yeah I was gonna say from the outside I perceive that there's been a huge growth in your company over the past 18 or so months which is just wild to think that at the same time you've been going through that so I feel like that's a testament to you and a testament to the team you've obviously put in place because it doesn't look like it's been plateauing, yeah, that's for sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it, look, it was working is a welcome sort of distraction as well for me. And, you know, you get so consumed with treatment and I think just talking and living cancer and, and mm. actually working and, you know, catching up with the girls and looking at new products, that's a, that's a nice thing to sort of focus on away from cancer because yeah. it does consume you. Did you meet anyone or reach out to people who were going through something similar that could kind of understand what you were going through? Oh, for sure. You make beautiful friends under shitty circumstances. So yeah, <laughs> there is a handful of girls that go through similar things. And the the scary thing is it is, you know, it's women that are sort of under 40 and yeah, another girl just, just locally as well who we've been chatting and it's, and it is scary. It's like one in seven women now that are diagnosed with breast cancer and a quarter of those women are under 40 and it's growing. So yeah, it's nice to connect with those women, especially young mums that go through 
the same thing as you because, yeah, unfortunately it is becoming more common, which is horrible. And in remission, can you explain what remission is for those and me who don't really know what it is? And also, do you get tested like more than someone else? Do you get checked more than someone else? Yeah, you definitely do. I think we haven't used the remission word for me just yet. I'm literally, I did have a scan a few months ago, which didn't show any cancer. So that was amazing. But yeah, basically you, you have sort of a PET scan. So that scans your full body and that will show if there's any cancer left. And then it's just like, you get checked every sort of six months and you are, you are checked a lot, mammograms, ultrasounds, CTs, all of the above. And yeah, um, it's just monitored and checked, which is great. Are going into those assessments though, completely terrifying? Mm. Yeah, I think so. And you, you kind of constantly live in a little bit of fear, yeah. the reoccurrence. I did have a scare like right before I went overseas a few months ago and they found like another kind of lump right where they'd removed everything. It turned out to be scar tissue and God, but yeah, it certainly brings you everything back. And yeah, you're always sort of living in a little bit of fear of recurrence yeah. for sure. And I guess like double checking every symptom, you know, Absolutely. is that just something yeah. that I can take Panadol for or yeah. is that something else? Yeah. yeah. Like there's a lot of appointments and I think once you're under the care of, of these specialists, you're, you're being closely monitored, which is great. Are there any lifestyle changes that you've had to make? I was pretty healthy and conscious of health otherwise. And I was taking, you know, herbal supplements and juicing every day and eating like super (laughs) clean. And, but I am under the care of the naturopathic. She specializes in oncology. So she's got me on a pretty strict kind of healthy regime. I think it's, also allowed me to invest time in like my own self-care, I guess you could say, but, you know, going for a sauna, taking that time out every day and focusing on health. Cause I think prior to that, I was just, you know, I thought I could have at all the business, the, the kids, the, all of that and juggle everything. And I think we do juggle everything, but probably not all at once. And I wasn't, you know, everything wasn't at a hundred percent all the time. So I think allowing that time for your own self care and even going out for a walk or having a cup or like all of that, it's just like, you know, prioritizing yourself more sometimes. Absolutely. And do you feel like that's been your biggest learning or what have been your biggest learnings during this time? Yeah, I do. I think, you know, prioritizing yourself, but prioritizing experiences and not worrying about all of the things that we we concern ourselves with, you know, the little things. It's like all of that just goes away when you're faced with something that turns your whole life upside down. You know, I think relationships is a funny one when you go through something like this. I think, um, you know, you it really highlights the people that show up for you in this time and the friendships that you have. And 
I feel like when you experience a major life event where you feel closer to death than you ever have, it shakes you up. And for me, it forced me to look at the things that I value in life and focus on the things that I love and the things that light me up. And I looked at elements of my life that was also bringing me down and the things I wanted to let go of. To an extent, I think as women, we rely on on that outer layer of our appearance to some degree and the way we present ourselves to the world. And so much of your identity is wrapped up in your appearance, you know, how we dress, our hair, our makeup. And when you're stripped away of everything that makes you feel feminine and like makes you feel like yourself, like I was, it's intense. You lose all your hair, your lashes, your brows. I lost my nails and obviously lost a boob. So I think that enables you to see yourself in a brand new light and it strips Mm. away that surface layer of how you look. So you're left with just you, like your true essence. I think I was confronted with that, like a true version of myself. And Interestingly for me, I had never felt so empowered and like solid in my own skin and I was proud of myself and yeah, I felt like that was my true self and it was tough and sobering, but it was enlightening for me and a beautiful experience in a way. Absolutely. And if there's anyone listening who has recently been diagnosed, what would you say to them or any words of advice? Yeah, I think just get your support network around you. It's a good question and I think, yeah, it's it's hard for people around you to express how they feel because a lot of the time people don't know what to say and they all respond so differently and they all have their reasons. You know, we had some family and friends that just said nothing and didn't contact us. They don't really know what to say. I mean, when I was out and about and I had my bald head and I'd run into someone I know you could tell that they wanted to say something it was a bit awkward so I'd always like Mm. break the ice and just bring it up because it's easier you know yeah so yeah just I think if you're a cancer patient you're diagnosed I feel like you know if you've got young kids you just have to take it one step at a time it's overwhelming it's hard and um, get your support network around because they 100% will get you through it yeah and I guess if you know someone who's just been diagnosed would you just say just be there just be pick up on what they need yeah be there and I mean there are a few things that I would advise if you are a friend of a cancer patient definitely be there but you know we get asked a lot you know, what can I do to help? And in a way that kind of puts the burden on the cancer patient because then it's like, oh, I have to think of things Mm. for you to do. It's like I always say like picture it, you've got, you know, go back to like you've got a newborn and what are those Mm. day-to-day tasks that get that slip away? You know, it's the, the cooking, the shopping, the cleaning. You know, we had friends buy us vouchers to local, you know, restaurants to get meals and that was super helpful or drop meals off or just like say, hey, I'm... Pick up a load of washing. Yeah, all of that. I'm taking the kids to the playground, drop me to pick yours up and we'll go to the playground. Like for little ones, 
you want their life to be as unaffected as as possible and for life to go on as normal as yeah. possible. So, and the other thing is like in the cancer community, we get told to be positive a lot. And can I just say, it's pretty frustrating <laughs> because to begin with, like, no one wants to be told like how to be or how to feel, just like be there for us and just I know it's coming from a good place like being positive and do this but it's like sometimes we don't feel like being positive all the time sometimes we feel shit and we want you to be there with us through all those emotions and that's okay and that's okay so again just just be there like through all of it and especially when the active treatment so the chemo and the radiation when you're kind of through that and the support does die off still continue to just check in it's not hard to send someone a message to say hey thinking of you you know I'm still here yeah it's it's pretty simple but at least you know that they're with you and they're they haven't dropped off so yeah and so at what point did you get radiation so I had radiation a month after chemo and what's that like what's radiation so radiation was basically to try and eliminate anything that was left after I just had it on the site where the tumor was removed so it basically eliminates any small sort of cancer cells that might be within the chest wall. Is that not what chemo does? Chemo will kill the cancer cells, but there could still be cells within this area where they've removed the tumour to the chest wall. So um, microscopic cancer cells still within that. So I got 25 rounds daily. I think that was when you first reached out to me, so it was like I was in the... Thick of I remember you being so apologetic. You're like, I'm oh, sorry. At the moment, daily, I just thought, do not. I think you got enough on a plate. A little old chit chat with us can wait. Um, yeah. So it basically, you know, if there's any undetected cancer cells within the chest wall. So I had 25 rounds, and that was every day at the hospital getting um, radiation. So. That was super draining, especially after, you know, your five months of chemo, then you have 25 days, like five weeks of daily radiation. So you basically go in, you're in sort of, you lay down, you have your arm above your head and they radiate that whole area where the cancer was. And I got pretty bad burns with radiation, to be honest, my skin, like I lost like the first layer of of skin and they continued to like yeah radiate the area so that was hectic so definitely by the end of last year after all that treatment I was so done I was I was ready it was hectic and where are we at now like what's happening in your life with business personal health where are we at well, we just took six weeks away to Europe, which was amazing. Good for you. <laughs> because, you know, the appointments are just intense. You've got, you're up at hospital every week with different appointments and scans and tests. So we just had a nice break from that. And we knew that I would need to have my left breast removed. So that's coming up in October. And with that will be the reconstruction surgery. So it was nice to have that little break before we do that. 
the next surgery is going to take, they say around three months recovery. So it's a big one. And then hopefully that's it um, for me in terms of treatment. And then I'll just be monitored. But I did have a scan a few months ago that, that showed no evidence of disease. So we were celebrating that. And yeah, I'll hopefully get back into, I've got a few months to get back into work and see the girls and still sort of, yeah, continue with with this but I guess for Jay and I we want to we want to travel with with the boys while they're young and do a few things to just yeah I think experience life and and put all of this behind us. And how has this whole thing been on your relationship? He has been like amazing I have to say. I don't know what I would have done without him. I think at the start it was obviously super challenging. He stopped work, which, you know, he runs a building company here in Byron. So that was big, just totally stepping out from that and allowing others to, to take over. But yeah, I think it's definitely as a family unit, it's brought all of us together. It's actually been a positive, like if I can, and I do try to get a positives, but you know, he was home with us all last year. We were in our own little form of lockdown because no one could come in or out and the kids were home. And it was actually a really nice time for us all to spend together as, as a family and for him to be home with the boys. And it definitely, um, yeah, their relationship, they definitely bonded together as, as father and son. So that's super nice. And it's beautiful. Yeah. I do feel like it brought us together stronger as a family unit. So yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you're truly, truly a special woman. So thank you so much. Um, you don't have to be positive, but you do seem very yeah. positive. And yeah, we just wish you all the best in your in your travel, your health, yeah, your personal life, your professional life. We love what you do professionally and we love you personally. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, girls. Love chatting today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.